Welcome back, everyone. Uh, This is the Ordinary Courage podcast. And today we have in the studio, um, I'm actually, I don't know if excited is the right word to use, but I am incredibly grateful um, to the guests that we have in the studio today. Uh, August was was and is uh, Human Trafficking Awareness Month. And so today we have in the studio uh, Teresa Jenkins from the Reset uh, Society of Calgary, Alberta. And we also have uh, Detective Paul Rudner in the studio today as well. And so I'm just going to tell you a little bit about uh, Teresa and then we're going to get into some discussion here. Uh, So Teresa Jenkins is the Executive Director at Reset Society of Calgary. Uh, which provides comprehensive, individualized support and safe housing to women um, who are exiting sexual exploitation and sex trafficking so that they may um, transition um, into housing. Uh, They work with the children to help stabilize, recover and heal from the trauma and move on to independence and empowerment. And so Teresa's with us today. Thank you, Teresa, so much for being here. Thank you for inviting us. And Detective Paul Rudner. Oh, I I think I botched that again, didn't I? Rudner. Thank you, Paul. Um, Has been a member of the Calgary Police Service for over 28 years and is currently assigned to ALERT, which is the Alberta Law Enforcement Response Team in the Human Trafficking Counter Exploitation Unit. As part of his duties, Paul investigates offenses relating to trafficking in persons and other prostitution-related offenses, as well as offering assistance to those wishing to exit the sex trade and who otherwise may lack the resources or ability to exit on their own. Since 2010, Paul has been the primary point of contact for the Calgary Police Service for all matters related to the Protection of Sexually Exploited Children Act and has been directly involved in the apprehension of over 220 sexually exploited youth under that act and is a provincially recognized expert in the area of youth sexual exploitation. Paul has presented on domestic human trafficking and the Protection of Sexually Exploited Children Act across the province to audiences that include judges, crown attorneys, police officers, social workers, and a variety of university classes conducting 25 to 30 presentations each year. Wow, I, um, I know we've been talking already a little bit here and, um, and so I, I just wanna dive right in uh, with you guys. And so, Teresa, maybe we'll just start with you a little bit, just if you could uh, let us know how long that you, you've been at Reset for, um, what Reset does, and why you do what you do. Mm-hmm. Well, I've been with Reset about 10 years. I uh, moved from Edmonton to Calgary and uh, saw a position, and the position was with Servants Anonymous Society. We rebranded. And I looked at the, you know, we talked about sexual exploitation and what that was, and I wasn't really clear, so I Googled it. And, you know, when you Google it, nothing comes up. It doesn't talk about sex trade at that time anyway, or someone, you know, exiting trafficking. So I went for the interview and met some of the people there, and um, they seemed like a really great bunch, and I started working for them. Uh, I was in the development office to begin with, so making uh, fundraising and stuff like that, the grants. And then I moved into the executive director position about uh, four years ago. 
So RESET helps women exit sex trafficking or sexual exploitation. We have a long-term comprehensive program. It's individualized to the woman, depending on you know, what she comes with and what she's experienced. And the first phase is a 30-day rapid exit safe house. So the woman comes straight in. And that's usually where Paul would come in with Calgary Police. He, would, you know, he often brings us girls or women and um, would make them connection with us. So they would go in there for 30 days for stabilization and observation. And then they would move into the long-term program, which is a trauma-informed life skills program. And they would move from that house into one of our supported housing units. So they have residential housing with us for usually minimum 12 months, again, depending on how long it takes them. And towards the end of the program, we offer employment training, um, employment development skills, resume writing, stuff like that, and scholarships. We have scholarship money, so we prepare them for the next stage once they finish and they graduate. You know, they have employment or they're going back to school. So we try to give them, the, you know, all the supports to make sure it's a long-term exit for them and they can sustain it. Can you, um, and I know we talked about this prior to recording, like just really wanting um, to get just to get into the ugly truth of this and what this actually really looks like. And so can you um, give as an example a story or, you know what I mean, just paint more of a real picture for us? What are are we dealing with here? Well, we have, um, I know Paul does too, but I have lots of stories. Um, I'll share one, you know, a lot of people ask, is it a stereotype? You know, it, you know, it doesn't happen here in Calgary. You know, it's, it's people that are in that lifestyle or in, you know, the family situation. That's not the case. We've seen every level f- from everywhere get trafficked and exploited. So one example I'll share was a woman that became very close to me. Um, she went through the program. Uh, she, you know, she was, she was married. She had a daughter. She developed an addiction. She was, had trouble with alcohol to begin with and then got into an addiction and, and then started to feed the addiction. She had to start, you know, doing that. She was with a boyfriend who happened to be a drug dealer. They went to a party, and he essentially sold her for drugs. So they went to the party, lots of people there, and he left her there. And these two individuals, who weren't very nice, took her and chained her to the bathroom. So she was bare naked, chained to the toilet, and she was kept there for two weeks, and she was raped continually. Uh, they would have guys come in to get drugs because they were big drug dealers, and you know if they wanted to, they would go in there rape her as well. So she was in there for two weeks. The only thing she had to drink was the toilet water bowl. Out of that, they they fed her maybe a little bit of pizza, and they injected her continually with drugs to keep her, you know, so she would not scream or you know whatever was going on she was in the basement of this of this house and it was a house in a normal normal neighborhood so you know not in forest lawn or some of these other neighborhoods which which maybe uh, have more criminal activity and one night she realized that they had forgot to chain her up and they were all passed out so she got up bare naked and she she would tell the story she told it many times in front of people how she crept across the floor and every time their breathing stopped, she would freeze. And she said it seemed to take an eternity till she got to the door. And she got the door open and got out, and she ran down the road. Now, this was like January, February, bare naked, with no clothes. And she managed to find a police car driving by, and they picked her up. And she was taken to hospital. Uh, she was in hospital for at least two weeks. She had, uh, where they were injecting her, she had a, a wound so deep it was to her bone, and she had an infection in it. 
Um, so that's, you know, that's one story. She, you know, she, she accidentally got into it to feed her addiction. She fell in with the wrong boyfriends. And, you know, she came to our, our, our organization. She graduated. Um, she did work experience with me in the fund development, so she, and she was brilliant. She went on to uh, take accounting courses, and, um, you know, she, she, she did very well. Yeah. That's here in Calgary. That's in Calgary, and that's just like a normal, typical story. One that, you know, she wasn't in that lifestyle. Her parents weren't, you know, they weren't, didn't have addictions. They were, you know, normal, you know, people that had good income, so no poverty, like no precursor that, that most people will think, well, that's because, you know, the woman's in that situation because either she chose that or, you know, she was in that lifestyle or that's how she grew up, right? A lot of stories are not like that. Yeah, you you mentioned uh, just some of the stereotypes and things like that. Can we? Can you just kind of debunk those for us? Like just even the one you. I mean, you said people think that this is not happening happening here in Calgary. <laughs> or or you, Paul? Yeah, please just feel free to jump in. Like well, and. And that's one of the one of the biggest struggles that we have when we when we do some education pieces with people that don't work with this population is debunking some of the stereotypes because um, you know Hollywood doesn't really do us a lot of favors in that regard because when we're talking about trafficking in Canada, it's not taken right. It's not like the movie. It's taken, like the movie, movie yeah, taken. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's it's not like uh, people have experienced in perhaps like uh, Southeast Asia. Um, it, it's, but it's, but it does happen here. It just doesn't look like what the vast majority of people think it does based on documentaries and, and Hollywood motion pictures. But a lot of the things that can make somebody vulnerable, um, have often nothing to do with socioeconomics. So it really doesn't matter, um, what's in your bank account or what's in your parents' bank account. It's what's happening with you at that particular time and whether or not you have the unfortunate instance to meet a trafficker when you're most vulnerable. So at the very, at the very most basic level, we as human beings have certain needs that everybody needs regardless. Um, you know, shelter, safety, sense of family, food, um, things like that. And if one of those things are missing... And it can, it can be missing from, you know, a Fortune 500 CEO, and it can be missing from somebody that's struggling with addictions, just depending on circumstance. If one of those things are missing, you're vulnerable. If multiple of those basic needs are missing, you're exponentially more vulnerable. And that's who we see um, oftentimes being victimized is people with, with obvious vulnerabilities. Oftentimes when I'm, when I'm doing presentations and, and talking about vulnerable youth, um, you know, the, the picture I use to paint is I have people close their eyes and imagine they're sitting in a food court at a mall and they see a 15-year-old girl uh, walking towards them. She's kind of kind of disheveled, you know, hair maybe isn't done quite right, you know, maybe one shoe is undone, that sort of thing. Just just looks a little bit rumpled. Um, walking along with a backpack slung over her shoulder. But what's obvious about her is that she's not making eye contact with people in the mall. She's really inspecting her shoelaces as she walks down. You know, it, she's screaming that she just left her self-esteem at home, right? And we've all seen those, those kids. We've seen them on the street. We've seen them at the C-train stations. We've seen them in the food courts. And the thing is, the traffickers, the exploiters, they've seen them too. So when they encounter somebody like that, adult, youth, 
addicted, non-addicted, they're very adept at identifying somebody that's lacking something that they want or need and filling that void very, very quickly. And that's the beginning of the, of the trafficking or the exploitation scenario. So what kind of, um, just to, like, so what, are, what, what is the landscape of this child exploitation and human trafficking and what, what does it look like here in Calgary? Well, in, in Calgary, I, I want to be careful because I think, again, in Calgary, things are a bit different. We haven't, I haven't experienced a great deal of trafficking of youth. There's, there's lots of youth being sexually exploited, um, oftentimes at their own hands. They're, they're in, and often, oftentimes they're self-exploiting because they're trying to gain some attention or trying to fill some gaps themselves. Um, but every, having said that, I have investigated cases where, where youth have been trafficked as well. But regardless, if they're self-exploiting or being trafficked at the hands of somebody else, it all comes down to the same thing. Something in their life is lacking and somebody is willing to fill that gap. Um, one, one case I can think of, uh, involving youth that were exploited and then trafficked, um, it was 20... 14, uh, and we had two youth. They were both uh, um, kids that have grown up in the system. One was Indigenous, one was not. Um, one was 17, 17, one was 15. The Indigenous youth was 15. The uh, Caucasian girl was, was 17. And they were um, at a group home in the Northwest, and they just went out for a walk one day, and they wanted a cigarette. They were sheltered kids. They didn't have the funds for cigarettes, but they saw two guys at a fast food place that were smoking. So they hit them up for a cigarette, and that was it. Within six hours of meeting these two guys, who both had had been uh, criminals to been involved in criminality to certain levels, but never with regard to trafficking or any sexually based offenses. Within six hours of meeting these two guys, the 17-year-old was high on cocaine, had been fed alcohol, and was turning her first trick in a hotel room in downtown Calgary. Now, she'd been in trouble with the law, you know, for a long period of time as well. I mean, um, through a variety of circumstances that, that she had no control over, but she'd never never been involved in exploitation or other sexually-based activity like that. But it can, it can happen that quickly. Uh, some people think that this whole process, you know, takes days, weeks, months. Um, sometimes it can, but again, depending on vulnerability and being in the wrong place at the wrong time, uh, in, in their case, it happened in six hours. And she did it. I mean, the bond between youth or, or the bond between uh, people, especially we see this at Reset, the bond between women with shared experience is very strong regardless of background. And again, in this case, with, with the youth, one Indigenous, one not, uh, the 17-year-old decided that she would, you know, um, do this at the direction of the traffickers as long as they said the 15-year-old did not have to do it. Okay, so you uh, touched on, um, so it sounds to me like there's a difference between uh, sexual exploitation and trafficking. There is, yes. Yeah. So yeah. Can you explain that so for everyone? It, it's it's nuanced to a certain degree. Um, every trafficked person is exploited, but not every exploited person is trafficked. Does that make sense? Um, 
So in order for trafficking to t take place, and a lot of a lot of times people do get, you know, sort of human trafficking and smuggling conflated as well. Okay, they use those two terms interchangeably, and they're not. Um, smuggling of persons or human smuggling, uh, oftentimes, well, every single time, the the smuggled person is complicit in the movement, and it involves a transnational border. You you can't be smuggled within a country. It's across borders from one country to the next has to happen or else it's not smuggling. Trafficking can take place in a room. There's no movement required. What is required is that a, an individual is forced or coerced because of they, they fear for themselves or the safety of others close to them to perform a service that will benefit not them but somebody else. All right, and that's that's uh, the same for sex trafficking or labor trafficking, which I don't. Do. I've never investigated a labor trafficking file in my in my career. Uh, it's all been sex trafficking. But but the mechanism and the threshold to meet uh, for it to be a, a trafficking offense, and there are a myriad of other uh, criminal code offenses that can also be applied to a certain situation. But in order for, you know, it's like unlawful confinement and things like that. But in order for trafficking to be met, certain criteria have to be met, um, like we just spoke about. Um, I just want to go back to, you said, like, where Calgary's concerned. Like, so so there's a difference here, if, I, if I'm hearing you correct, in the, where human trafficking, human trafficking is concerned compared to sexual exploitation. I generally draw the distinction, like I said, I, there's been very few instances where I've investigated um, youth that have been trafficked. So any trafficking investigation, the, for the vast majority, have involved adults. Yeah. But as, as you noted uh, in the introduction, I've been involved with, you know, a number of youth, a, a lot of youth that have been sexually exploited. And like I say, oftentimes that whole, that whole mechanism, that whole scenario is completely different than a trafficking scenario. Oftentimes we're, we're dealing with youth that are, um, uh, and I'm not sure if this is even the most politically correct term, but the nuts and bolts of it is, is oftentimes the youth are self-exploiting because they're trying to fill a gap. So they want, they want weed, so they'll offer a service in order to get the weed. Um, thing, things like that. I, okay, yeah, I, I wanted to touch on that too when you said that, like just the whole self-exploiting. Um. Right, and, and there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of things that are going on in society, I think, that, that's contributing to that. Uh, among them is the, the lowering of um, some, I don't want to say moral, but the, the, the lowering of some barriers in terms of what's acceptable in public. An example I, I often use is, um, I mean, I'm, I'm the father of two daughters, so I spend a lot of time at malls, and in particular, I spend a lot of time in Sephora, or at least I used to, right? Um, so for the males that are listening to this, Sephora is a makeup store. Uh, so, so I was in Sephora on this one occasion, and waiting for my debit card to get used. And I was just wandering up and down the aisles looking at some stuff. And I saw this one palette of eyeshadow. I think it was eyeshadow. And the label on it, on the, on the cover of the box, was um, better than sex. So I ask you, what does that have to do with eyeshadow? But 
Now, you've been to Sephora. What's the average age of the consumer in Sephora? It's I mean, younger, they're right? They're young. Yeah. yeah. 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes you see the parents in there, you know, you know, just again, waiting to have their debits card, debit cards used. But so, so what does that have to do with eye, eyeshadow colors? There's a particular shade within that palette. It's called uh, orgasm. What shade is that? What color is that? Right? But that's what's being marketed. So, so that's one of the contributing, in my opinion, and I'm not, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a researcher, but in my observations, that contributes uh, along with, you know, now we're get, really getting into the weeds, um, music lyrics. Yeah, you yeah. Know, all of those things are contributing to the lowering of the threshold of what's acceptable and what's not um, in society. I, 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 I so, absolutely agree. So, so when... when um, when, uh, you know, I encounter a youth that, you know, she's, you know, been offering oral sex, for example, for pick something, you know, a ride, drugs, alcohol, um, cell phone, whatever. And I have that conversation with her and she says, well, it's just a blowjob. What's the big deal? That's sort of some of the, some of the, um, challenges that we're facing so you guys are actually directly dealing with stuff like that like those kinds of conversations yeah, yeah. And, like and, and and that the protection of sexually exploited children's act PSECA, allows us to do that in a preventative measure because among other things um it says that we don't have to and i'm paraphrasing but we don't have to wait for bad things to happen we can intervene before something happens if if an individual is attempting to do something so uh, that, that's the ideal. I mean, I, I have intervened um, when, you know, we found, you know, a, a social worker I worked with um, became privy to messages where a young girl was going to exchange oral sex for a bag of weed on Friday, and we found the messages on Wednesday, and we could intervene, so it didn't happen. So, th- so that's one of the cool things about that particular piece of legislation. But we only have that legislation with respect to youth. So with, that that is up to and including eighteen, 18 years, uh, right of up age. till eighteenth birthday. Okay. Yeah. Okay. With that, with adults, of course, we don't have that, right? Um, with youth legislation, we can we can mandate programming for them. With adults, you can't. It has to be all voluntary, and that's where reset really comes in. I mean, um, the credibility that that reset gives me when I encounter a woman in the sex trade, um, and I get the in, inkling that maybe she's a bit tired of it. Um, just the ability for me to, to talk about reset. And in, you know, the 11 years that I've worked with them, I've been, become very conversant, I think, in the programming that they can offer and, and what the program looks like. But when I can go to that woman and I said, if you're tired of this, if you don't want to work for anybody else, if you want to stop giving your money away to somebody else, I can have you in a clean, safe bed in two hours if you say you want to. And the credibility that Reset does uh, gives to me to be able to say that and to offer that to somebody, you can't buy that. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Wow. Um, Teresa, for for you, so what what are some of the average ages that that you guys are? Well, we help uh, women and girls 16 and over. And I think our average age group is in around the uh, 30 to... 39 or, or maybe 26 to 39 range. Um, but we don't have very many that are under 18. We have one or two maybe 
you know, sometimes once a year, but the average age is that. But at the same time, we have had women that were in their 50s and older. So I think our program manager and uh, has spoken to a gal that was at least something like 80. She was 84. 84. And she still had re- regular clients. So and she'd been, you know, she'd been in there working for a long time. Um, yeah, that's like her whole lifetime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think she was her daughter also working. She had one that her daughter was also working as well, and she was like 55 or 60 in that in that age age range. Uh, we had one gal, I think she was 48, and she was a lawyer that, um, you know, she found a boyfriend, and uh, they were going out for about a year, and then he started giving her some drugs, recreational drugs, and then next thing you know, she was, you know, uh, he was turning her out, and, you know, she was being trafficked by him. And um, so we get all ages, all different, like I said before, all different um, levels of society that come in. And So how, like, do you, do you, is there any kind of prevention? Like when you're doing all of these educational talks and you're meeting with people and you're, you know, what, what, what are, what are some of the, like the signs? What are, you know, cause I even, like, I think about even, our homeless population and and uh, like you know more like more so kind of our youth like the youth that we can we see on the street right and I I mean I even know over the last few years like it's increased a lot um, just with our youth on the street and and I mean obviously they like you like how you're saying Paul too like they're they're more just the vulnerabilities are way more exposed, right? Being a youth on right. the street. Yeah. Because they, they don't have the ability to, um, you know, they don't have coping skills oftentimes or they're poorly developed. Uh, they certainly don't have the ability to link actions and consequences, right? That, that forebrain still forming and they, they, can't, they can't see the danger, physically because they don't have the they don't have the the brain connections the the neural connections aren't formed yet so that's one of the biggest things is that and it's kind of a kind of a cruel cruel piece of uh, biology is that the segment of the population that probably needs um the ability to predict you know actions and consequences um don't have it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay. So there's, so there's that, but I'm also wondering too, like, um, and so I don't, I don't totally, this might be, you know, how you mentioned about the whole self exploiting, right? Because you're, and, and, uh, just the messaging and just the, um, the way our, this generation, like our youth are now interacting with each other and things like that. Like, you know, because we social media. You know, where there's the sexting, sending naked photos, like all. So obviously, too, they're if they're engaging in all of even that behavior, they're. I mean, they're really putting themselves out there too. To be, oh, certainly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, that's just the lowering of the lowering of the bar in terms of what's acceptable. Um, yeah, you know, among their peer group. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what are, how, what are some of the, like, how do you get, how do we get around this? Like, how do we? I think awareness, first of all, I mean, people need to be 
uh, need to know what what they're seeing um, for what it is. And you know, at, at you know, you know, we we host conferences um, with the hopes of of getting that message out there, um, speaking with. You know, there's been a, a great deal of effort in the last few years. Uh, I just actually did uh, um, a session with the Canadian Alliance of Medical Students Against Human Trafficking. Okay. That'd be the third one I've done. So the medical community is, is now getting involved because they see an opportunity to maybe intervene in instances where they might be able to identify victims of human trafficking, uh, you know, in the in the hospital or the clinic setting. Mm-hmm. You know, so and some and and it's very similar to some of the messaging that we're getting across to our frontline police officers as well. Is that, you know, maybe the domestic that you're going to isn't really a domestic. You know, maybe the uh, the lost traveler really isn't the lost traveler, uh, sort of thing. So it's or you know we've done information sessions for hotels mm-hmm. and the hotel association because that's huge. Um, so you know things like you know, people traveling in inappropriate clothing, you know, arriving arriving in Calgary by air perhaps and, and they don't have any winter clothes in January. Um, you know, travelers, maybe it's a male and female, maybe it's, maybe it's you know, the same sex, but, uh, you know, one person doing all the talking, one person being in control of all the documents or the identification. Um, you know, encounter somebody um they're looking for directions they don't know where they're supposed to be they don't know where they're where they're staying mm-hmm. um things like that um i mean and then there's everything else you know unexplained injuries and um in hotels you know we go through a lot of different things that hotel uh workers the housekeeping staff and things like that can you know look for and be aware of and at the end of the day i mean it's it's all about being able to first of all recognize when something maybe just isn't right and then beyond that knowing who to contact mm-hmm. because the the hotel workers the um the school staff the the doctors or the nurses might be able to check a couple of boxes by themselves that might not mean a whole lot mm-hmm. but in in the eyes of somebody with a little more experience you know um that has not that is not does not seeing that for the first time, it might mean more. So really what it is, is, you know, trying to get some information, some education out to people where they can start looking a little bit beyond just face value. Like I said, you know, maybe that domestic isn't that, isn't just a air quote domestic. Um, And then, but beyond that, who do I contact now to look into it further? In, In a way, it's almost just even overwhelming just sitting here listening to all of this. And just trying to, because I, a part of me, I want to just like, okay, just tell me, (laughs) you know, exactly what I need to do. What do I need to look for? What are the signs? Like, can we just put this, can we just, can we just wrap this up and have a checklist and then go, go make it happen? Like, go make that, go make it happen. Like, go put it, put a stop to this. But it's, I, it's just not that simple. It's not, um, and, and there are organizations. I mean, and that's the, frustrating. The the province is actually doing some work in getting together um, several organizations throughout the province to try to brainstorm and do just that. You know, um, not that will provide checklists per se, yeah, but to bring sort of generic awareness to the issue um, and putting up posters in 
places like airports and yeah. you know, well before Greyhound shut down, bus stations would have been ideal. Yeah, totally. Um, and hotels and, and things like that. Because um, I, I just, I feel like it's almost, you know, because you're even, Teresa, you're talking about, I mean, the, the one example you gave was a, a woman, a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Ne- next thing you know, she's being trafficked. Yeah. You know, and then, Paul, you're talking about, like, you know, just our, our kids and, you know, the self-exploiting and things. It's almost like we we need awareness and education everywhere we have people. Yeah, yeah. Right? That, like, that. because I, I, I honestly, I'm, I'm even, I'm thinking of our schools, you know, like our... And the school, schools are a great place to start because, again, you know, pre-COVID, um, teachers and counselors saw our kids way more than yeah. than we as parents saw our kids from September till June. Yeah. Right. So, if if you want to target a single audience that needs to be, and in terms of youth, uh, certainly schools would be one of the prime um, target audiences for this sort of information. Now. I don't want everybody to get in or anybody to get the impression that, um, you know, all exploited youth are just simply all self-exploiting. There are certainly some people out yes. there that are, yeah. and, you know, sometimes it's peers, sometimes it's adults, sometimes it's friends of the family yeah. um, that are sort of directing their actions and taking advantage of them in, in different ways. So I, I don't want to leave anybody yes, with, with that impression. Thank you for clarifying that too. Um, but again, very often, you know, when we talk to women at Reset, um, a lot of them share similar backgrounds to some of the exploited youth that we've seen. You know, it's not that it's a, a, a gateway necessarily to um, the sex trade as an adult, but it certainly speaks to vulnerabilities, mm-hmm. right? Um, just like, you know, drug use um, is, just because somebody is a, is a drug user doesn't mean they're necessarily going to be um, victimized by a trafficker or trafficked or get into that world. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it does make you a bit more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I think the vast majority of the women at Reset um, have histories of drug and or alcohol abuse in their past. But oftentimes, um, it's kind of a chicken and the egg thing, right? You know, were, were they involved in drugs and that's what the trafficker used to coerce them into, you know, the sex trade as a result of their, their drug use? Mm-hmm. Or did they start using drugs as a maladaptive coping mechanism because of their involvement in the sex trade at the hands of somebody else, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, it, the, the two really do go hand in hand, but um, one doesn't necessarily lead to the other. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't want to, I don't want to sound either like I'm like I'm sitting on the fence, um, but it really is nuanced and, and it really is not black and white. Mm-hmm. We see a lot of women that come, <clears throat> excuse me, experiencing uh, survival sex and they would be a lot of these that were doing, um, you know, exploiting, self-exploiting. Okay. And so they've, you know, they've experienced that before. And then when they get to reset, that's, you know, that's how they lived. It's not that they were, 
you know, being trafficked or, you know, that they were exchanging sex for money, but a lot of times it would be survival sex. So can, can some, you explain that? Well, that would be, you know, some place to stay, some place to sleep, again, for drugs and exchange of drugs, even for food. We've had a gal that she'd put her two little kids to bed and then she'd go out and work at night because she had no formula, no diapers for her, for her children, right? So for her, that was the only way she could get money. She was a single mom. So we see a lot of that survival sex as well as the trafficking. Wow. We were, we were, you know, talking about for how long you guys have been in this and, and just, I mean, it's traumatizing. This is really traumatizing work that you're doing, just the stories, the things that you see. And, and so I, I know, uh, Tracy, you talked about, you know, how you even came upon this position and then Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And that it's, uh, a somewhat personal for you. Can you just tell us a little bit, like why why you've stayed, why you do what you do? Well, I think, uh, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I've experienced some domestic violence in my life and uh, left home when I was young, relatively young at the time. Working with the women, they have, you know, I, some of the similar experiences. Uh, they all have violence and stuff like that. And the other thing that I see is working with the children because we allow them to bring the children and that's really that is really what is in my heart as well so supporting the women and the children because those little guys when they come in those little guys and girls you know they're broken just like just like their mother you know they come in they've experienced all the trauma they've seen all the violence or experienced the violence themselves and so to me that's what's kept me there i mean we we have you know we have some gals that that we lose you know some that um, overdose or, you know, some other experience takes them somewhere and, you know, they lose their lives. Uh, we have some that go back and, uh, you know, they're still out there. But at the same time, there's so many rewarding rewarding stories and, and positive stories. And, you know, just seeing a small change in these little gaffers and, and the women themselves, I mean, to me, that's, that's my reward of working there is just, just to support them in that. I understand... Um you know, just when you're in, in this work and stuff like that, and because we don't, not everyone does make it, right? And, and But just being able to just keep holding out that hope and just keep holding it out and holding it out, like even the women that have, you know, say, gone back out, and whatever, but they, they know you're there. Yes. They and, know reset's there. And a lot of them come back. You know, sometimes the first try doesn't doesn't do it. But, totally. But we've had women that have come back two, three times, right? And we're always there. The door is always open. What about for you, Paul? Like you, you were saying, again, before we were recording, that this last 11 years of this has been, like, the most rewarding for you. It sure has, yeah. I mean, like like I said, I mean... Um, the last 11 years working with Reset and working with the, the population that they serve has given me some insight um, that I really lacked in, in, you know, the first 17 years of my career. And, and like I said, um, and I've said this publicly before, uh, I'm not particularly proud of my, my attitude prior to that. You know, when, I, when I, you know, dealt sometimes with vulnerable people at that level uh, because I, I didn't understand the backstory often and didn't didn't see them uh, for what they are really just people just needing a little bit of help and I think since becoming a father I think that's also helped as well um, I, I would hope that and you know I, I thank God every day that you know um, no family member of mine has found themselves 
you know, in a situation where they're vulnerable like that, where they've been victimized like that. But if they ever did, I would certainly hope that they would find somebody that wanted to work for as hard for them as I do for the women at, at Reset. Um, and Reset, you know, one of the things that, you know, uh, Teresa touched on the children of the participants. That's one thing that sets Reset apart from many other programs across the country. And there are programs across the country that, that work to serve this, this population in every province. As far as I know, Reset's the only one in the country that will accept women with children. And for me as, a, as an investigator, when I encounter somebody, um, not only can I make them the offer of a clean, safe bed in two hours, and Reset will deliver, but when she says, well, what about my kids? And if I am able to say, well, you can bring them with you, that's huge. Because oftentimes there's been cases where, um, I've, and I've talked to investigators across the country, that's, that's a deal breaker. And oftentimes the woman will say, well, if I can't take my kids, I'm willing to stay doing what I'm doing for their sake. So, so that's huge. But I mean, for, for me, like I said, it's, it's been really rewarding because I'm not dealing with stuff you know, like a, a, gun, a drug investigator or a, a, a gun, you know, firearms investigator or, or an auto theft investigator, right? I'm dealing with people. And um, because trafficking investigations are lengthy, um, they're also deeply personal. So, you know, I, I get the privilege to have conversations with women um, about things that I know they would rather not talk about. But when they have the courage to talk, then I think it's my responsibility to do what I can to make sure that that, that has some meaning. And um, if that means getting somebody into court, that's fine. Uh, but that's not always the case. Sometimes, uh, sometimes they just want you know their story sort of on the record, or um, they just want it, their story to be known or heard by somebody in authority. Right, and again, because of the credibility that that a reset gives me, uh, oftentimes I have the opportunity to not only be the first law enforcement officer that has treated them decently, but I'm also the first man, oftentimes, that has treated them decently and has been able to the, offer them something, uh, some sort of assistance, and we do some other programs with them as well. But I ask nothing in return. And for some of these women, you know, that's the first time that's happened in, you know, five years. First time it's happened in 25 years. What would you say is the link, if, if there is one, or what, or what that might even look like, just in relation to, you know, the drugs that we're seeing and stuff like that, and then just with this issue? Well, I, I, think, I think drugs are certainly uh, play a large role in providing an opportunity for restraint of the survivor in that, in that situation, right? So when the trafficker is able to uh, withdraw drugs or offer drugs, depending on whether it's a punishment or a reward sort of scenario, that's huge. Um, the other thing too is, is that um, money is, is a huge factor. There's a great deal of money to be made um, in the sex trade. Um, and that again attracts the criminal element, organized crime, right? Um, women and drugs are both highly lucrative um, in, term, in the organized crime world.
So the, the two sort of go hand in hand. And what, what accompanies that almost always is violence. Um, so violence is, is a reality. Violence is almost an everyday occurrence. And women, um, and I call them survivors, you know, the women at, this, at Reset, I call them survivors because for the average person and the stories that I've heard and the stories that Teresa has heard from the participants, um, it, it's just amazing what they've endured and not just survived, but you know, oftentimes have thrived despite of. Um, but because violence, like I said, is just is par for the course. It's, a, it's an accepted um, price to pay. Um, an example, um, police were called to a hotel, it was a couple of years ago now, called to a hotel where a domestic was going on, right? So, so they responded to a domestic at the hotel, and they were aware enough to recognize the fact that it wasn't a domestic and it was in fact a woman involved in the sex trade so they called us. So I arrived and um, spoke with the woman. Uh, she didn't want to get involved with, with Reset. We ended up finding another solution for her. But I spoke with her and it's not the first, and so she had been assaulted by her, by her pimp. Uh, and it wasn't the first time. She'd had uh, a broken nose, she'd, had, uh, she'd lost a tooth uh, on several occasions at the hands of him because he was assaultive. Um, I said, well, so what was different this time? And she said to me, what was different this time, and this is the fight that got the neighbor's attention that called the police in the first place, was that he told me to take my underwear off and plug in my curling iron. And she says, I wasn't going to let that happen. So then the fight ensued to the point where she actually bit the cord in half so it was unable, unable to be plugged in. And that was the fight that got the attention of the neighbors in the hotel room that prompted the call to the police. But up until that, she was perfectly willing to accept the violence that she'd suffered because that's just that was what she saw to be her lot in life and the price to pay for the work that she was doing. And he thought that it was perfectly okay because she was bringing in thousands of dollars a day for him. And if she wasn't going to work, and this was this what sparked the sparked the whole fight. She didn't want to work that night. And basically the choice was not hers. He was told her to work. She said no, and the fight was on. So for people to think that this is a, a victimless crime, um, that women do this um, of their own free will, of their choosing, there are some people, although rare in my experience, that choose to work in the sex trade. And you know, with the laws that we currently have in Canada, they're certainly willing to make that decision if they're doing it of their own volition. They're not being coerced. They're certainly willing to able and certainly willing and able to do that. That's fine. But for somebody that's being forced or coerced, um, that's not fine. And that's that's where we come in. So I often hear sometimes, well, people say, well, that's her choice. You know, she chooses that, you know, um, you have to take the good with the bad, you know, she got what she deserved, whatever, whatever the case may be, nobody deserves that. And again, that's where we have to start digging down a little bit deeper is to find out what makes her think that this is okay. What has happened in her past? What happened? And, and there's, there's tons of research and again, in the adult world about, um, experiences 
in younger years, in the youth years, that maybe shifts their attitudes and, and thinking and things like that. And, and can, you know, today is not the time or place. But certainly something I'm convinced in this woman's life happened with her probably years prior that made her think that getting her nose broken was acceptable. Um, and it wasn't until um, a larger threat of violence came up that was her line in the sand. Terrific. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, and I, I don't know if you're, I don't know if I'm overstepping my bounds or allowed to ask this or not, but you mentioned about, you know, the, you know, the traffic rings and the drug traffic rings and how a lot of times this does go hand in hand. I mean, we all know, right, that you, all you have to do is Google and we know that sex trafficking is right up there when it comes to making money along with, you know, arms and, and mm -hmm. drugs and yeah. stuff like that. Do, do we, do we have, and I, I know we probably kind of do, but what, what are, what does that, what does that look like here for us? Even maybe not even just so much in Calgary, but Canada, like the, the, the drug trafficking rings, the sex trafficking rings, like, it's difficult really to quantify it. I mean, we, we do see some patterns. Yeah. Um, one of the patterns that we do see in Alberta is women traveling out here from Eastern Canada okay. to work and then returning home. Um, and the women that we, that we encounter out here, um, when we talk to them about it, it, it's, you know, even with $40 oil, they can still make more here than they can in Ontario or Quebec, for example. So, so we do see, we do see patterns. We see, uh, we can track, um, travel patterns, you know, Saskatoon, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, Regina, that, those sorts of things. Um, what we're less good at is identifying those behind the scenes, because the first thing that we need to do in order to identify those behind the scenes is find a woman that wants to talk to us. Yes. So we've, we've done lots of operations, dozens of operations over, over the last several years where we try to identify women working in the sex trade mm -hmm. and have conversations with them very similar to this, where we offer the services of reset. We offer, you know, a multitude of different services. And for the most part, in the high 90 percentile range, um, we're told, no, I'm fine. I'm doing this by myself. Is that all? Can I leave now? It's very rare. I've yet to encounter a woman who, when we speak to her and offer those services, that says, oh, thank God, I've been trafficked for the last five years. It doesn't happen. So, I mean, there have been cases where we've offered services and because they all get one of our business cards and said, you know, just when you think that nobody cares, we still will, so give us a call sort of thing. And there have been instances where our phone has rang, you know, three, four, five, six weeks later, wow. certainly. Um, but that's the exception rather than the rule. And that's the thing with, with adults is that we can only offer the services. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I, as we're kind of getting ready to wrap up, I, um, Teresa, what, can you just, uh, so Reset is here in Calgary. Yes, it is. Calgary, Alberta, um, and I, we're gonna we'll have your links and everything in the show notes and stuff like that. But just can you um, 
just rattle off your website um, and could you please like how people can donate and what they can donate if mm-hmm. if there's yeah so you can look on the website uh, reset so it's uh, www.resetcalgary.ca and that's our website and on there is a there's a donation form if you wanted to donate on there uh, financial donations are always wonderful but we also take other things um, you know we'll often looking for beds single beds for the women mattresses uh, sometimes bedding so we generally like to have things that are new or very slightly used but you can contact the office um, our email is info at resetcalgary.ca and um, on there too, on the website, you can find the phone number and connect with us. Okay. Um, do you have a Do you have a full house right now? Well, we have multiple houses. So we have a safe house, and we have five other homes. Uh, one is a duplex, side by side duplex. That's the mum and kid house. So all in all, we have twenty eight beds in all of the houses. Okay. So we have scattered housing throughout the city to protect the women. They're all in in you know normal community neighborhoods and nestled in there. And that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. And, and uh, so, if we is there is there a certain place that we can go to post more info, like just more education, just to raise more awareness? Like, what what can we do? Well, I think what we do at Reset is we do a lot of presentations, and usually to women's groups, uh, quite often to churches. We do a lot with Paul and some of these other situations that he spoke about. But the biggest thing, again, is is raising awareness. So, you know, just make yourself aware of some of the signs. You know, if you have a niece, nephew, um, I always say boys too, um, or daughter, you know, there's some signs if they start uh, behaving differently, they come home dressed, their nails are done, their hair is done, they have a cell phone, they're more secretive with their with their messages. Like those are kind of uh, clues or, or sig- signals you can see. Yeah. And then just, just talk to other people. Just keep this conversation going. Yeah. Because that's going to be the biggest thing. Paul and I can only do so much yeah. educating and presentation, but the public needs to be aware and to look for these signs and, and to tell everyone they know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so, what what about you, Paul? Like, how do we? Uh, how does someone like? Do you guys have like a one eight hundred line kind of thing? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? If we're if if someone is suspecting, like even you know, the stuff online, like the child pornography online, like just it's so we're so. Uh, in Calgary, the main complaint line for the police would be would be an awesome place to start two six six. Sorry, 403-266-1234. We do have a a voice message only line, so it's not answered um, for people that that do just want to maybe leave their contact information for us to follow up with. Okay. And that's uh, 428-8585 or um, vice at calgarypolice.ca. So you can reach us in any of those those forms, even if, you know, somebody just has a question yeah, or, you know, if like, they've got, you know, I've got this situation and I'm sort of concerned, um, that's, that's fine. Cause I'm happy to answer questions. We're happy to answer questions, uh, provide some, some information. Um, but like, but beyond that, it's like Teresa said, it's just getting information out there and some education out there. Um, I've had the opportunity, like I said, or like you mentioned in the intro to speak with a bunch of groups. Um, but I also had the opportunity that's not in there to speak at um, two teachers conventions in Calgary. Awesome. Yeah, so so that that's huge. So again, we just need to get the information out there to um, not, I mean, general public is fine, but, you know, I, I think if we're going to 
start someplace. We need to start targeting our audiences um, because, like Teresa mentioned, we have limited resources in terms of time and availability. So if we can get the best bang for our buck in terms, and so, you know, a platform like this is awesome too because the internet reaches just so many people, right? So, um, so I have to thank you very much for the for the opportunity because uh, this is obviously something that's that's important to me. I've been passionate about for over the last decade, and uh, I've never said no to an opportunity to go and, and to come and speak about it because it's something that I I take very seriously. Um, because I, there's a great deal of responsibility that, that comes with my job, and um, and I f- do feel a responsibility to uh, the women that I work with um, and the organizations that I work with as well because, uh, you know, um, I couldn't do my work without them, and, and Reset's been around for 30 years, so they've been doing, they are, they know what they're doing. So it, it, it's a very, very good working relationship that we've got that we need to continue, unfortunately, because there's there's going to be a continued need. Absolutely, absolutely. So, bef- as, as we kind of go, is there what, what kind of, what's if you could say one thing to someone listening, what what would that, just a message of hope or, or or education, just anything. What what would you want to leave? I think, Teresa? from my perspective, reset has helped over a thousand women in the thirty years, and just for the women to know that there is an exit, there is a way out. Mm-hmm. You know, that's our vision for the women to know there is a way out. And it, if you can't do it the first time, don't give up. Like, have hope. And and the program manager always says that these women, they've forgotten how to dream. They don't know how to dream. Their dreams have been taken away. Um, just for the women to know, you know, you can have a dream, have hope, and just keep trying until, because you'll make it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I... 100% believe that. Yeah, totally. What about you, Paul? Well, strange times we're living in right now. And um, I think it's appropriate, however, though, that if if you, if anybody's finding themselves in a situation um, that they don't want to be in any longer, the police really can't help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We want to help. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. I, uh, I'm i so, so grateful. I <laughs> I hope that, um, I don't know, I, I just, my heart's desire is just, I, I really hope that this podcast, this episode is able to, like we were able to pack enough into this um to just help to raise awareness, help to educate, uh, even just to help people understand that this, it happens a lot easier than what we think, you know, and not to stereotype this issue. And, and so, um, and just, you know, I'm really, um, cause it, you know, with working in addiction and mental health and, and, I just there's you know we're always constantly um, coming up against that shame and that stigma and things like that right and I'm sure you guys you know that very well uh, in your fields and I so I just really hear that same message uh, Teresa with you with you know the reset and the the women and and same with you too Paul just that just there's 
there's no shame in coming forward and you know because there's so many there's always a story behind how stuff like this happens and i've been a believer of that for years and years and years no one just signs up for this no one asks for this to happen no little girl in sixth grade puts her hand up and says i want to be in the sex trade when i grow up yeah you know absolutely absolutely and so i just i think more than anything as a society and as a community and as a city and as a province you know we just really we need to remember that and keep that in the forefront no matter what it might look like you know and just even like what you said i just think it's powerful and amazing that you know you were able this shifted your perception on how yeah, you 100%. see yeah like you see the story you see this you see people and there the, and just knowing that there's a story you know and i'm so grateful for you guys thank you so much i i i'm not going to lie i'm probably going to be reaching out a, a few months down the road and I'd, I'd like to do this again and we can strategize what that might need to look like maybe it's to help even raise awareness around an event or whatever we need to do but uh you definitely haven't heard the last of me teresa that's and, great <laughs> yeah so i'm just so grateful for both of you paul and teresa for being here thank you for taking the time um and i just uh, really applaud what you guys do and for just putting your heart and soul into your work and into these people and uh because it takes all of us just like you said it's not you know we need each other we need each other and we all need to be um, embracing these issues. And so I just, yeah, I'm really grateful for you guys being here today. Thank you. And um, so that's for those of you that have been listening. Uh, really, I just ask that you could please share the podcast, share it with your friends, share it with your family. Um, Cause we just, we never know who might need to hear this message. Uh, we, yeah, we just don't know. So please share the share this episode. Uh, reach out if you can help. Uh, we'll have all the links and uh, everything that you'll need uh, to be in touch with Teresa at Reset uh, to do do whatever you can do, whatever that even looks like. And so just really thank you guys, uh, our listeners, for joining us today. Uh, this is the Ordinary Courage Podcast. And you can find us on Spotify podcast, Apple podcast, uh, or go, go to the website, VenetiaBriel.com. And uh, thank you guys uh, for your support and in helping us uh, raise awareness for this highly important uh, cause and issue. Thanks, everyone. Mm-hmm.